You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Hello, church. Are we all right? You can make your way to your seats. There'll be plenty of time at the end over tea and coffee to continue those conversations. That's like such a school kind of way of starting something, isn't it? Like, class sit down sort of thing. No, it's awful. Hey, I'm Pete. I'm here to share the word with you guys saying I'm excited to do so. But I want to start off um, with almost like a shameless brag, really. Um, so my role in church, obviously I play a part in our food bank, but I also play a part in our youth ministry as well. And on Friday night, we had an amazing Elevate here. Um, I was quoting some of our young people by them saying it was the best Elevate we've done in six months, which makes you wonder what on earth we've been doing for the last six, doesn't it? <laughs> but, um, but no, it was an amazing, powerful time. And I think it's so significant this time of year for within the history of our church, we've always had some kind of getaway from many, many years back. Certainly as long as I can remember, we've always sent youth away around the Easter period. And I think in church, especially in our youth ministry, this time is so significant. We see kids coming to faith. On Friday night, we saw 18 young people respond to just, yeah, it was amazing. You know, it's powerful. And we want to, you know, we want to continue that. And when, when we're saying, you know, pray for our leaders, we, and we can say it with a jokey thing of that, you know, pray that they have the strength and energy. My goodness, they need that. But pray that the, the kids move spiritually. Pray that they encounter the Holy Spirit this week. You know, pray, pray into that for us, partner with us in that. Because when we see young people changed, we see schools, we see generations transformed. And that's something that we should be excited about as a church. It should never stop at the gates to a school. The, the, you know, the movings of God, it should always be something that kids carry in they are the main banner carriers and that generation needs prayer more than any other I think so you know be praying with us this week be partnering with us this week but that's completely unrelated to what I'm preaching about um, in, in in a total sense I want to preach today from Joshua I want to preach about the crossing of the Jordan River it is an incredible passage of scripture it's an incredible moment we see in the history of the Israelites and I think there's such there's such a powerful message and some powerful truths in there that I'd love for us as a church just to see and, and encourage ourselves with as well. Um, you know, we see in this, and it's specifically from chapter 3, where the, the key moment where we, we see the Israelites crossing over, we see the Israelites prepared to, to go into what God has promised them. I think the, the power in this is that they've been waiting for, at this point, for over 40 years to see the miracle and the provision of what God has, has said that would happen. You know, we see them leave Egypt. We see them escape slave, slavery over the Red Sea. We see them move and leave out of a season into another. But then in Joshua 3, we start to see the beginning of a new season starting. And I think there's something, something impressive in that for all of us. You know, there's something that we can impress upon ourselves is that when we move into a new season, it's often at the command that God has laid out for us. But in this, in this scripture, and one thing we're going to do today, we're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible, which is great, isn't it? You know, you can go home and you can say, well, I read a whole chapter today, which is, which is an achievement. It's only 17 verses long, though. So it's not like one of those ones in Psalms where you're getting into triple figures almost with, uh, with numbers. But I see some powerful things in here. I see, I see the Israelites anticipate a miracle. 
You know, they get ready, they get prepared. I see them implement what God has said. And then we see them bring to actualization what God has commanded in them seeing and receiving a miraculous provision from them. So we're going to read this today. Um, Joshua 3, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to that now. I'm going to read the whole thing now, um, just to get it out of the way. Um, there are a lot of words in this that I might struggle to pronounce. Feel free to laugh at me. Um, it's okay. If you've got a better pronunciation, come and tell me it, because it might help a lot. But yeah, Joshua 3, verse 1. I struggle with reading, okay? Like, this, this is an achievement for me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relish this. Um, <laughs> Joshua 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they, <laughs> where they camped and before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And then Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will bring and exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord all of, and all of the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, it's a proper Yorkshire way of going at it, isn't it? Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of, the, the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan with its waters flowing downstream, it will be cut off and stand up in a heap. We're getting there. <laughs> so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at full flood stage all during the harvest yet as soon as the priests carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge the water from upstream stopped flowing it piled up in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan where the water was flowing down and where, while the water was flowing down to the sea of Araba that is the Dead Sea it was completely cut off. So people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Made it. There we go. You can tick a chapter off today. Um, it's a powerful moment. In this, I want to pray just before we get into this, but Lord God, I just thank you, Lord, that you can give us such wisdom in your word, Lord, and that when we gather together, Lord, that you can just fill each and every one of us with unique knowledge, with unique understanding. And I just pray today, Lord, for each and every one of us that we would receive something from you in this service today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. It is, it's a powerful moment in 
in Scripture. It's a powerful moment where we see a change happen for the Israelite people that they have yearned for for 45 years. And I see, like I said before, I see a moment in this at the very beginning where we see the Israelites anticipating what God is going to do. We see them anticipating it, granted, for 40 years beforehand, but for three days in the lead-up, as instructed to by God in earlier chapters of Joshua, we see them anticipate that something significant is going to happen. And Joshua knows this, and he says to them, you know, you're going to need to prepare yourselves. You're not just going to be able to, to do this in your own strength. If we look at that river, it's, it's not something they're going to overcome by might or by brute force or by ability. But Joshua knew this. You see, he said to them, you know, you need to go out and you need to consecrate yourselves. You need to prepare yourselves spiritually for what God is going to do. He also got them ready and, to, and commanded them that when they set out, that they will be following the presence and the power of God that is in the Ark of the Covenant. Joshua knew that in these stages, in these final moments, in the lead up to God's provision, in the lead up to God delivering them from the wilderness and taking them into the promise, that there were things specifically that they needed to do to be ready to receive. You see, often I think in life we can look at situations that we face and we can say, well, these, I'm going to overcome this in my own strength. I'm going to overcome this in my own ability. When actually there's a stage and a season of spiritual preparation before we break through what God has got planned for us. Part of their anticipatory preparation was understanding that they weren't going to be the ones that were going to overcome it, but it was going to be God that would do that. You know, their attitude needed to shift, and that's why Joshua had set them up to consecrate themselves. But in the, in the Jewish tradition and in the historical tradition, their acts of consecration would have involved washing and preparing themselves and saying specific prayers and going through various hoops and milestones. For us, now, we're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Jesus, and it changes. You know, we don't have hoops and processes to go through, but our acts of consecration and our preparation can be completely different. That can be us praising God in our, in our waiting. The other week, Pastor Rich preached an amazing message about praising God while after our plot twist, but before we reach our breakthrough. And that's so true, you know, that in this, when we're waiting, when we're anticipating God to do something, we need to be the same. We need to be praising God. We need to be choosing to, to, to petition him. We need to be choosing to be people who position ourselves in such a way that when we're anticipating a move of God, when we're anticipating breakthrough from our, either our wilderness season or from wherever it is that we may find ourselves, that we will be a people who position ourselves correctly. That comes through prayer, that comes through praise, that comes through petition. You can call those the three P's of consecration in the modern Christian lifestyle if you wanted, but there, there is a truth in that, that what we do in our anticipation, if we're yearning for God to do something, we can, we can often yearn but not actually do anything productive with it. And we actually need to, be, we need to make sure that that never becomes the case, that instead we choose to be like Joshua in this, that we choose to fulfill that time with godly, godly things. Secondly, we see them implement the miracle. We see them implement what God has said. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because as they journey towards the river that God said they're going to cross, God hasn't actually done anything. When you actually look at the whole situation, they, they get to the river's edge and then the miracle takes place. When the, when the Ark of the Covenant, when the Levitical priests finally get their feet wet, that's when the breakthrough happens. But the Israelites didn't wait for that to happen. They didn't wait for a big sign. They didn't wait for a huge light in the sky or they didn't wait for an exact checklist of things to take place before they set off. They went out in faith. Often, I think we can be so guilty of waiting for God to turn up before we 
go and do. And that, some of that's the principle of what we're talking about at the Elevate Getaway this weekend. We're talking, this week, sorry. We're talking about the idea of going and doing, being the hands and feet of God, being purpose-driven and going in faith. And sometimes that requires us stepping out in faith, knowing that God goes before us, like the, the Ark of the Covenant did and Jesus does for us, and knowing that, we've got, that God has the victory in a situation. But sometimes it's going even before we've even had God say, go. Sometimes it's being eager and ready to move, being prepared and in, in, excited to move forwards, rather than just waiting for things to go exactly, or for the weather and the conditions to be exactly as we want them. The thing about Joshua is he's a visionary leader. I think he's one of the best examples of a visionary leader in the Old Testament because we see in Joshua a man who, while things may be happening here, his eyes and his focus are over there. We see it in the sense that when he is met with this river in flood, knowing that they're going to cross it, he's heard, he's heard a word from God and he's been encouraged by that. He chooses to make the move. He chooses to call the people out to say, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to prepare, we're going to do all of this. But then after God has said, they're going to exalt you in the same, and know that I was with, Mo, with you the same way that you, you, I was with Moses, what we see Joshua then do is turn around to the people and go, yeah, there's this thing here, but this is going to lead to all of this. And this is going to lead to us breaking through, taking ground here. This is going to lead to us having cities and towns and taking over tribes and, and reaping a great harvest from it. And when his vision is not focused just on the now, but focused on what's going to come ahead, we see that he goes with a, with a courage and with an enthusiasm far more than he would have if he was just simply thinking, well, God's got to show up if he crosses this river. His brain left the river in Joshua 1. He wasn't interested in the river so much then. He was much more focused on what was going to happen in the, in the season afterwards. And part of his vision, part of his attitude is portrayed perfectly in the sense that what Joshua does is he gives honor to God even before he's provided. That section where he goes, now then, and starts talking about get me 12 members of the tribes of Israel. It's not just a bit of Yorkshire prose and it's not just a little bit of, you know, him just getting, saying, oh, well, let's just get 12 people lined up. He has a plan and a purpose for them. It isn't explained in Joshua 3, but if we read on to Joshua 4, he gets 12 members of Israel and 12 people from different tribes to build a monument to God for what he has done. But Joshua's thinking about bringing praise before there's even been provision. There's an attitude in that, right? There is a mindset there that is if we're going to praise God for what he's going to do, it doesn't happen post-provision, it happens pre-provision. That we need to set ourselves up to be people that go, well, you know what? God's going to show up. I'm going to implement this before he even has turned up. And before he's turned up, my praise is already rooted in what he's going to do. It's an attitude shift. Many of us, we get lost in the idea of saying, if and when then I'll do. You know, and it's not, if we have that mindset, we're going to be sat at the riverbank waiting for it to part for an awfully long time. If we're never prepared to get our feet wet, if we're never prepared to go where God has called us to be, unless, he there, unless he's there physically for us, we're going to be waiting a long time. But our attitude shifts to, to be a people who are bold enough to go, things change massively. The, the Israelites would never have received their promises in that if they didn't. Finally, we see them actualize the miracle as well. We see them receive what God has promised in such an amazing way. The interesting thing is that God allows the Levites to get their feet wet first before he even begins to provide. Now, when we hear that term that the people are 2,000 cubits behind, 
I think Old Testament, I mean, we struggle enough, don't we, with metric and imperial, let alone like old school Israeli measurements as well. It just gets, it gets beyond, doesn't it? Like what is a cubit? Well, I did some research on this. A cubit of 2,000 cubits would be about 1,000 feet. So it's, a, it's not as big of a distance as we think. It's probably here to the park on the other side of, of the cricket field. So when we think about it as 2,000 cubits, we can sometimes think, oh, it's miles back. You know, they're, they're at the camp and they're at the riverbank. It's not, they're quite close to it. When that river starts backing up, you know, they really are very close to the miracle. If you start seeing, a, like if we were stood 1,000 feet away from the swale and it started behaving in that way, you'd be running. Like we'd be going in terror. But the, the interesting thing is that they waited, God waited until the Levitical priest's feet were in the water. He waited until someone was in their 11th hour. He waited until the last minute to come through. It's one thing saying, you know, I'm going to go. It's another thing entirely to say, I'm going to get my feet wet in the process. And that even as I step into that river, even as I step into that challenge, even as I step into what God has said, he's not there. Then often we can then begin to back away, can't we? We can say, well, I tried it. I put my little toe in. Didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to, so now I'm going to go into full retreat. But God doesn't do that here, does he? He he provides miraculously. He provides powerfully when they go boldly into the promise that they provide. Secondly, well, then the miracle happens. Waters back up all the way to Adam. Huge flood probably caused chaos for somebody just trying to eat their lunch or catch a fish further down the river, didn't it? Can you imagine being the other side, though, and the river just dries up, and you're sat there like, what on earth is happening? it's harvest, it's meant to be a flood and it's dry. But God provides even within that. He provides them safe crossing. Last year we went, as a youth ministry, we went down to the River Swale. It was on Richard's 40th birthday. Sorry, but it was. You thought my hair was bad in church news. I went to Richard's, I looked like a drowned rat. Um, But we went swimming down at the Swale. We risk assessed it, ish. Um, we just went, there's rocks there, we'll go here. And that was basically, that's a risk assessment in some, in some people's mindsets. I mean, in the eyes of the HSE, probably not. But, you know, we went swimming and we went into the river. And I remember as we moved out into the middle of the river and it got up to about here on me and my feet were still on the ground. I remember feeling the riverbed underneath my feet. And I remember feeling how clayish and how awkward it was. And I realized if I stood still for too long, that my, I would begin to sink. And it wasn't pleasant. And then I looked over and I saw Adam Cooper smearing this clay on his face like some kind of tribal warrior. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? You do not know what's in that. He's like, yeah, but I look cool. Um, <laughs> at which point you're like, oh, we didn't, no one would have put that in the risk assessment, even if we'd done one in full. Um, but what I learned in that, and when I was reading this, I was reminded of that, was because when, if God had only just parted the river, They'd have been walking, hundreds of thousands of Israelites would have been walking through mud, through dirt, through slime. It would have been up to their knees. And by the time a few hundred of them had walked over, it had been impossible to traverse. Isn't that such a picture of God's provision, though? That he doesn't just part the river, doesn't just give them the chance, but he gives them dry ground to walk over as well. In your life, when God provides for you, God isn't about providing just the smallest possible 
droplet of provision that will just about see you over till the next quarter or whatever it is that you might be struggling with. No, God's provision is all-encompassing because God provides from a place of love. God cares about the details. God cares about the crossing. God cares about the fact that you are going to be whole through his provision. He doesn't just want the minimum, but God will give you the needs and he will cover every aspect of what you need, not just the bare minimum, a tick, a box. Within the actualization of the miracle as well, I see the way the Israelites and the way that Joshua's attitude was fixed on the presence of God. 14 times in 17 verses, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. That's a lot when you think about it. That's like once every 1.2. I'm sure someone with masks could probably work it out much better than me, but it's a lot. It, you know, their attitude, their mindset is centered on following the ark. It's about the ark. They put the ark at the center of the miracle while everyone else passes by. And there's some truth in that as well, that when we position the Spirit of God, when we position the Holy Spirit at the center of what we're doing, when he is 14 out of 17 verses in our walk and our journey, then what actually what happens is that what our focus shifts. It takes it off the, the meager things of this world, the, the issues and the difficulties, things become strangely dim when we start looking at the presence of God, when we start pursuing what he has. This, this scripture has so much in it, and we could stand here, you know, microanalyzing every little piece of it all afternoon if we wanted to, but I'm not going to do that. I just want to pick out three things that I think are absolutely key in this, that we see from, from, the, from Joshua and from the Israelites in this moment that we can really root ourselves in. And the first one of these is to trust in our spiritual leadership. I think that when we see the Israelites, what we have to understand is that Joshua was a newly appointed leader. He hadn't been proven. He hadn't been tested. He probably didn't have the authority that Moses had. He was an individual that went in that position of leadership had only just been appointed, yet they had trust in him because they knew that God had anointed him to take control of that situation. And for us, things are a little different. We don't have a, a Joshua standing at a riverbank telling us that we have to follow things in certain orders and, and consecrate ourselves in certain ways, but we do have Jesus. Jesus is our Joshua. Jesus is the absolute source of spiritual leadership for each and every one of us. He is in his own name. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant in human form. He is the God who overcame. He is the one who will and is the Lord of our life. He will, he will lead us to the places that he has called us to. And we will, if we go willingly, if we follow in his teachings, then we will see immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. Colossians 2.15 says this, having disarmed the powers and authorities of this world, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We take this verse at its essence. We can be assured that Jesus will go with us because of the actions laid on the cross. We celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, but we recognize the sacrifice and what he endured so that we could find liberty. We recognize, if we recognize that in our lives, if we recognize that Jesus gave himself willingly as a sacrifice so that we could inherit immeasurably more, then we can walk in the confidence of that. 
We can walk in the understanding that all of the issues, all of the challenges that we face, all of the problems that come up against us can be overcome by recognizing where Jesus has called us to as, as leader in that. Jesus will speak to us in so many different ways. He'll speak to us in worship. He'll speak to us in prayer. He'll speak to us through moments at our life group meetings. He'll speak to you through when you have pastoral ministry in your life. He'll speak to you in a measurable, in a massive amount of different ways. But when we hold on to the teachings of Jesus and we hold on to what he is speaking over our lives, we can trust in him to see the provision breakthrough. Secondly, we know and we see in this that miracles require movement. I think in our own journeys, we can, and as I said before, we can get so caught up in the idea of waiting, can't we? I think as, as Christians, and I think it's something that as we age, we get more cynical in. And I think my, sometimes I can be insecure in this, that I'll like have like a list of things that I expect the Holy Spirit to do before I'm prepared to move. And it can be ridiculous things like, as long as the worship is exactly like this, and as long as God speaks to me about this exact topic through three different people and one, and one UCB1 radio interlude, then I will go. You laugh, but trust me, we're all guilty of this sometimes. You know, we wait. You can be like Mel Gibson saying, give me a sign, and then waiting for the provision. There's a scene in one of his movies where he's like, waits for a sign, and it's just a, a wagon full of signs drives past. We can be guilty of that, where we're like, God, I just need you to show me the way, and we expect a compass to land in our laps pointing in the direction. God doesn't work like that. But we can sometimes think that it does. But miracles require movement, because when we go, then God goes with us. Can you imagine how long the Israelites would have been sat on that riverbank waiting for the, for the waters to part if they didn't go in faith? How long have you been sat on a riverbank waiting for God to provide when all God's saying really is, you know, just char- charging towards it and I'm with you? God requires something of us sometimes. He requires our attitude to shift. He requires our hearts to start moving forward. He requires us to start taking ownership sometimes so that we can then be given what God, the, the provision that God has for us. But it requires movement from us. Acts 1 Verse 8 says this, you will receive power, and this might feel counterintuitive to what I've just said, but we'll roll with it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now we can look at this verse, and we can say, well, that actually is almost counterintuitive. That says, well, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, so you should wait for the Holy Spirit. But I, I was... I was blessed with the privilege of a conversation the other week with uh, one of the Bible theologians for the AOG, and we were, this verse came up in conversation, and he, he said to me, you know, one word in this, one Greek word for this is the word lambano, and this word, lambano, has meaning. It means very much so. It can mean to take or receive. It can mean to receive, and we often translate it as that, that we can receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. But it can also mean to take or to claim. And if we, if we take the grammar, and, that, and that's a completely valid translation of that word, that you can use it in either context in, in the course of, of translation. Now, if we were to re, re, readdress that scripture of saying you can claim power when the Holy Spirit comes, it changes our thinking a little bit, that we can claim it, that we can go forward in the presence of God and say, I'm claiming this land for God. I'm moving forwards for that. But we've got to be careful with it, though. 
Because there's nothing, there's no possibility that we can then strong arm. And I see exactly why they put word in it as we can receive. Because if we start to say, oh, well, you can claim ground wherever, then that's me going into Evans Halshaw this afternoon and going, I'm claiming this brand new 23 plate Vauxhall Vectra in the name of Jesus. That's mine. Give me the keys or so help me God. No, that's not what God's called us to at all. But if God said go and we're waiting for him to show up, actually we can start to say, I claim this. This is where God has called me to. And we can walk boldly in that. Finally, we see the final point that I see this is that there is always more from God. There is always more from God. There's more than we see. There's more than we can perceive in everything that he does. We see this in the blessing that he gave them as the crossing. We see that in the provision of dry ground. We see that that God provided more even in the immediate. We see that he, he gave them what they needed and blessed them with extra. But what we don't see instantly is that God gave them even more than that. See, if we rewind back to Joshua 1, and Joshua 2, we see conversations break out about how the, how the tribes and the locals in the area were terrified at the idea of the Israelite, Israelites crossing over the border. They were terrified at the idea of them coming through because they knew that their God came with them and he commanded immeasurable power. Can you imagine how much more scared those people were when they see that their, late, their river has dried up? They, they, go, they step out of the front door in the town of Adam and they're getting their feet wet. Can you imagine how much more fear that instilled, how much more worry that put in place? You know, it meant that the Israelites went into that region. They didn't just go in as a, as a nomadic people. They went in with the authority of God. They took ground. They, they saw walls of cities fall down. They, they took a kingdom rapidly, faster than any army could have done because they were blessed with the abundance that God gave them, that they went in with that authority. It's an interesting time to cross when it's in flood as well. You might think that there's not a lot in that, but historically, harvest was not the time where armies went to war. Harvest was the time where soldiers went back to their, their farms. They went back to their land. They harvested with their families. They, caught, they were there. They were gathering. They didn't have swords in their hands. They had plowshares. They, did, they, you know, they, weren't, they weren't cracking whips. They were fresh in wheat. They were a people then ripe for the picking, really. No one would have expected the Israelites to cross during a flooded river in harvest. So when the Israelites came over, they weren't faced with vast armies that they would have to overcome. They weren't faced with major, major opposition, what they were faced with was a land that was ripe for them, that God had provided. And we can look at our own lives sometimes and we can go and look at the situations that we find ourselves in and go, well, it would be impossible for God to provide in this season. But on the other side of that impossibility, on the other side of our own rivers of impossibility, is God's unbelievable provision that we will see in our lives. He'll provide a way, and he provided a way in more ways than we can even imagine in that. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 says this, and this has been a verse that I think as as a church has been a memory verse almost for us this, this last year. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, to his power that is work within us. Sorry, I'll read that again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God will do immeasurably more than we can ever ask 
or imagine. You might be asking for breakthrough today. And you might be thinking, oh, well, you know, it might be in your marriage. You might be saying, oh, God, I just pray for breakthrough in my marriage today. God doesn't just want to restore your relationship. He wants to build it up to things that you cannot even imagine. You might be asking for financial breakthrough. God doesn't just want to give you the, the, a few pounds just to get over to the end of the month. God wants to change your life completely so that you live in the fullness of provision. God doesn't do what we can imagine. He does immeasurably more than we can imagine. And we see that. We see that in the provision that, for the Israelites. We can see that for ourselves when we seek provision as well. Then it says this in that verse, to him be the glory. Joshua's attitude of honor is just something that is so key in this. And it's an attitude that I think we lose sometimes. We lose it in our yearning for provision. We often go, oh, I'll praise you when I get here. And here is it's pointless. Actually, it's I'll praise you now. I'll praise you in my waiting. I'll praise you while I'm, while I'm hurting still. I'll praise you before the provisions happen. It's something that to him be the glory should always be what we do. We should always be giving him glory. We should always be choosing to do it. Even, in, even more so when we're waiting. Even more so when we're anticipating breakthrough. And forever and ever. These stories that we read in the Old Testament, we can often view them as stories. They're historical accounts, actually. But we can often think, well, that was okay for a season then. We can look at the book of Acts and we can see the amazing, miraculous provision of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And we can go, well, very much that was a season then. But actually, it isn't a season then and a season now. The same God that conquered the grave on Easter Sunday, the same God who provided for Joshua, is the same God that we have access to today. He's still here. God still will use things of us now and in the future as well. The interesting thing about this crossing place and the interesting thing about Joshua's honor to it is that Joshua said there'll be a monument built and it'll be, in Joshua 4, he says there'll be a monument built and it'll be there forever and ever and ever. And when, when we actually then look for the monument in, mod, in the modern times, we find that it's not there. And that's okay because Joshua was a man and the promises of men sometimes don't equate exactly to the promises of God. You know, Joshua can make a declaration. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's there. It isn't there now. But that spot, that crossing place, holds incredible historical significance. In the same way that our testimonies can as well. Joshua built a monument there for the Israelites of that time. That was their version of testimony. It was to say, well, I testify that in this place, God did an amazing thing. Modern equivalent for us is, I testify that God did amazing things in my life. And God has done this, and God has provided this. And I'm going to speak boldly of it to anyone that I encounter so that they know the provision of God too. That crossing place, 1,400 years later, so we go from 1,400 BC to around the year zero, became the baptismal site that John the Baptist used to baptize Jesus and many, many other people in that time and in that region. The monument may have faded. The memory of the importance of that site never did. That site became the baptism site where all of this began with Jesus, where Jesus' baptism started, where the Holy Spirit came down. In the same way, our monuments, our testimonies, you know, the, the history of them may fade. The, the realities of them may be, become distant to the past, but God will still use them. He can use you 30 years on from your provision to still see new people come to know Jesus when we choose to then stand up and say, you know what, God has provided for me. Sometimes it takes a voice. Sometimes it takes the words to do so. 
Sometimes it takes encounter to start this process off. And we're going to worship now. And church, I'd, I'd love it. Um, well, we'll stand in a moment, but if you want to bow your heads now, I just want to create an opportunity for people who don't know Jesus. Many of you may have been sat in this room and thinking, well, this is great. You're talking about some person thousands of years ago who, who have had very little in, very little to do with ever in, history, in the history books, and very much so that could be Joshua. But Jesus isn't Joshua. Jesus is a completely different person, but provides powerfully because he is the same God. He's the God of Joshua. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of He's the God of Paul. He's the God of us. His name is Jesus. And when we encounter him, our lives change in a radical and amazing way. And if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus yet in their lives, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know him, I just want to give you an opportunity right now to just raise your hand. And one of our ministry team will come and they'll pray with you. And they'll, they'll lift you up. I'm going to pray now. And then we're going to worship. Does that sound okay? Father God, I just pray right now, Lord, for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that, that you would speak to us this week. Lord, I pray that when we face our own rivers of impossibility, when we face our own challenges, Lord, that you would be the God of provision in the same way that you did for Joshua and the Israelites, that you would do for us as well. Lord, I thank you for the times that you've provided for me, and I thank you for the times that you've come through for people in this congregation as well. And we just pray more of you. Lord, we ask for more of you in this place today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.